Hello guys, welcome back to the Free Drop Podcast and our first interview with a European golfer and a Ryder Cup star to boot, Nicholas Kolsart. We chat about a variety of topics from that unforgettable performance at the 2012 Ryder Cup and the numerical symbolism behind Nico's player number, to his forays into commentary, the scary health struggles of the last couple of years and lots more. It was a privilege to have Nico on the podcast, a wonderful player and an even better person. Before we get to the chat though, I just want to encourage you guys to give us a follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at freedrop underscore podcast. Without any further delay, here is Nicholas Kolsatz. Hey guys, welcome back to the Free Drop Podcast and an episode I've been looking forward to recording for quite some time. We all know him as the guy that broke American hearts in the 2012 Ryder Cup and endeared himself to us all. Nicholas Kolsatz, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you very, very much for taking the time. So, if we get into a few, a few quick-fire questions to, to begin. Um, yeah. Where did you grow up and what was your home course? Uh, well, I grew up uh, in the middle of Brussels. I was born and raised in the middle of Brussels, the capital of Belgium. And um, I started playing golf on a small nine-hole golf course that was uh, in the middle of a horse track and then switched clubs after that. But, uh, but I still consider myself to this day as a, as a proper kid from, uh, from the center of Brussels. What is your earliest golfing memory? Uh, my earliest golfing memory, um, I still remember vividly the first shot that I the first shot I saw played by a professional and it was a, a, a driver from Ian Woosnam at the 1987 Belgian Open. I could just get uh, over the boards at the back of the, the, eighth, the eighth hole at Royal Waterloo Golf Club and, uh, and I, still, uh, I, I still see how violent that driver shot was and I was like, wow, this looks pretty cool. Amateur career highlights? Uh, amateur career highlights, um, I would say I've, I've got a few nice things. Um, I played in two junior Ryder Cups uh, in 97 and 99. Um, funny enough, I actually played one of the rounds with Suzanne Peterson, who's now the Southern Cup captain. Um, and I also lost in a playoff um, at a Challenge Tour event in Luxembourg against uh, Henrik Stenson and a Danish guy called Niels Rohrbach, but that's when Stenson came out and I was I was actually 17 years old and lost in a playoff in a Challenge Tour event, so that was pretty cool. The best shot you've ever hit? The best shot I've ever hit, there's been a lot of them. Um, I think, um, you know, people know me for how far I used to hit it off the tee, but the putt I hold in Medina on the 17th screen in my first game is probably the best golf shot under the biggest circumstances that I've ever hit. And one shot you'd like over? One shot that I'd like over, uh, the second shot in the 16th at Jumeirah Golf Estate, the year that Matthew Fitzpatrick won his first race to Dubai. 
because I think at that stage I'm one or two behind and I only have a gap wedge to the to the green or maybe a pitching wedge and I made a I made a I hit it in the water and made a mess of it. I think if I stiff that close, I think the the tournament's maybe a bit more on. If not a golfer, if not a golfer, um, two options probably in sports, but I would have loved to be uh, to be a. Uh, to be an underground uh, electronic music DJ. One thing people are unlikely to know about you? Uh, that I'm not as chilled as I look like from the outside. <laughs> you know, when you play golf professionally, uh, you know, I kind of have like this way about me and people think I'm always pretty relaxed. But uh, like I said, when you do this for a living, there's a, there's a lot, of, uh, lot of boiling senses inside of you. One tournament you'd most like to win? Uh, well, I mean, like just like every kid. I mean, uh, you know, the Open, the Masters. I'm lucky enough to have won the Ryder Cup with Europe. So, um, yeah, I would say probably it, it's it's a very difficult one between between uh, the Open and the Masters. Probably the Open just a little bit edging off. What does a typical day look like for you? Uh, well, it's changed a little bit. You know, I'm a father now. Uh, um, but when I used to be at my peak, uh, you know, you're talking golf about, you know, six, seven hours a day, uh, looking at what you eat, uh, looking at when you're waking up, uh, don't go to bed too late. Uh, you know, you you can't really leave a lot of stones unturned. So you, but when you're on a mission, you do that very easily. So I think if I think a, a good a good point to actually begin the sort of longer form of the, of the chat would be. How's your health? How are you how are you doing, and how's that progressing? I'm fine from a from a proper health point of view. I'm I'm actually doing a lot better. My results are good. Whenever I need to do a urine test or blood samples, uh, it seems like it's kind of like behind me. Uh, but since I've been back, I've kind of struggled uh, mentally to uh, to accept that I've had something that I still have to deal with something because I'm still on on a few drugs. Um, so I've kind of struggled to uh, to get back uh, to be mentally sharp, uh, but my my health is fine. Touch wood, uh, it's heading in the right direction. How did how did it sort of come about? How did you realize something wasn't quite right? It's funny because I, you know, I've, I've kind of had a I had the feeling that something was wrong with me because my digestion was not the same. I didn't felt I didn't feel the same and and. Um, my sleeping pattern was a bit different and for not really any you know proper reason and and then one day when I was doing a commentary for feature groups at the race to Dubai uh, one morning my ankles doubled in size and uh, one of the guys that was with us that week is John Morgan who is a friend of mine for a long long time and and he was like you gotta be careful this that that is probably a sign of kidney a kidney disease I was like, come on, John, you know, we all know John, he's a funny guy, but I was like, how do you know this? He's like, no, no, my father had the same thing. I would, I would go and get checked up. And so I, I, did, um, I did the whole week and then I, I went to the hospital, get checked up and, and, um, and the woman told me uh, that uh, I needed to stay on observation. I had uh, developed about eight, um, I was overweight of eight kilos, which was basically fluid retention. So it wasn't only in my ankles, it was in my belly and, and I, could, I could feel it when I was walking, my whole belly was vibrating, which, which just felt totally strange. And, 
they found a couple of blood clots in my lungs and, and I was supposed to hop on a plane uh, two or three days after that to play a tournament in, in Thailand. So uh, uh, it was um, it was a big eye-opener for me because I'd never been sick in my life. The only time I'd ever been to a hospital was to to get my wisdom teeth removed. And it, it was in, it was a world I, I knew nothing of. Um, so it was a it was a, a bit of a shock at first. And it must have been quite scary the the sort of speed at which everything kind of developed and, and yeah, because it was really progressed. quick. It was really quick. Yeah, I, I had a, like I said, I had a feeling for a couple of weeks like things were wrong and it wasn't just like a quick checkup thing. Uh, then you go to the GP. I, I, I had a feeling they had to go inside and have and, and have a look and and that's what they did. And uh, but yeah, um, you you understand, uh, you know the the level of stress and distress that some people um, have to face when they are facing uh, an incurable disease or I, I got pretty lucky that uh, my situation could have been controlled pretty quickly um, and uh, and handled correctly from uh, from the first minute we find out what I had. So I read in your player blog that you wrote last year about a, about a moment that you had in a um, in a Dubai hospital uh, when you were, when you were lying there. Take, yeah. take me there and, and, and what went through your mind? Um, well, the, the first I did a I did a couple of um, a couple of stints in the hospital of like two or three nights um, after they gave me diuretics uh, through a, through IV and so I basically emptied myself all this water retention and lost uh, lost uh, seven or eight kilos of fluid in about you know 24 48 hours and um, and so I thought that this was going well and then a couple of days after that I put on a, a, again another couple of kilos went back to the hospital and and uh, and uh, my wife and the kids came to say hello a couple of hours and you see a doctor two sets of five minutes during the day and they're telling you that they keep looking for what exactly you have and uh, uh, and I remember Thomas Bjorn reached out and sent me a message asking how it was and I just completely exploded and called him and I don't think I he, he understood half of the words I was saying. Um, so much I was in uh, in, in, in in panic uh, and, and not understanding what my life was going to look like. Or and so, you know, the, the the support that I have felt from from people around me has been uh, exceptionally uh, heartwarming. Uh, even a couple of weeks when I got back on tour, you know, everybody came up and and, and asked. Oh, how I was and so you not like you feel like you matter but you know when you've been out here for so long it becomes your extended family in a way and uh, and it's been extremely uh, extremely warm to the heart to to see all these people like that but uh, but yeah there was a couple of times on my hospital bed where I had absolutely no idea where I was heading what my life was going to be like if I was going to cure from this if the if the, the, the drugs that they were using were gonna work, if I, basically what your life is gonna look like. Having never looked uh, at anything throughout my life, uh, it was a bit of an eye opener. So you and, you and Thomas are obviously pretty good friends. I mean, you served as a vice captain in, in 2018, but I also read that, that he, he gave you a book when you, the week of the Open to France in, in, right. in, in 2019. Yeah. Tell me about the, the book and the, the sort of concepts that it, that it um, detailed. Well, he could see that I was struggling. This is at the end of 2019, and and early in the week in France, he was like, "There's a 
he's like there's this book that I have that you should read and I'm like dude I don't really read books he's like no no you get the audio books <laughs> and it's a it's a book uh, called The Chip Paradox uh, which uh, he thought could help me and, and it kind of did I only listened to the book like 15-20 minutes every morning when I was driving to the golf course and I could I could uh, understood very quickly why he wanted to why he wanted me to read it uh, because he knows me quite well and and, and it kind of clicked on a few things that I've applied that week and for whatever reason I started to play well and because France is a kind of a difficult event for me because I'm French speaking and and you know when I was doing better and better in the event I had more and more people coming and following me and I can hear all the comments from the crowds and we know what the French crowds can be like you know they're pretty demanding and uh, even though I'm Belgian but I've, I've always been part of the, of the French golfing landscape um, and it definitely helped and I'm always going to be grateful uh, to Thomas for for adding his, um, his his little touch for for me at the French Open in 2019. Yeah. I think what, what really fascinated me kind of um, reading up about your 2019 win was you know normally if, if, if guys get into a position where they you know they a couple ahead and then you know, the start of the final round, maybe they pick up a birdie and their they're playing partner drops it. As, as the viewer, you think, cool, like, that's that's great. But I also read that that kind of threw you off a little bit when, when George Kutsia made bad drop and, and, and you, you made birdie to start. Chat yes, about, did. Chat about that. Yeah, it, it's funny because, so I'm teeing off the last round playing with George and Jamie Donaldson. And, uh, and I'm three ahead and I'm thinking, okay, you might be three ahead, but this is... The, the Golf National in Paris, which is a very difficult golf course. And I thought, let's not think that you have three shots in the bank. Let's play a good round, let's play a solid round, let's post a number and not pay attention to to anything else. So I was really focusing on that. And, and I birdied the first and Georgie bogeyed the first. And all of a sudden I found myself five ahead and that completely threw me off. I had never imagined that that was a scenario that could happen. and. Uh, and threw me off for a couple of holes, and uh, and George had started to play well on the uh, at the end of the front nine, and and we're teeing off on uh, 13, and I'm basically two behind. Um, so it was a it, it's been a pretty roller coaster day, uh, and then at the end also JB Hansen that came back into the loop, uh, they made a big mistake on 17. So the the, the emotions and the plans and and. Uh, and the way that the day unfolded really went all over the place and, and I think that's why um, I mean it was always uh, it was already special for me to win in France because I was always it's always I always considered it almost like my second national open um, but the way that that Sunday happened made, made that win very very special especially in the context that you were actually struggling to to retain your card that, that season and I mean that must have been a huge relief in in itself but would you say that as impressive as your as your um performance at the 2012 Ryder Cup was would you say that um you know the 2019 win was arguably even more impressive given the circumstances listen I mean all your wins and all your big lines on your CV mark you forever you know they're just imprinted in you right the fact that I was the funny story about France is that the week before we're playing in Italy and Italy then was a Rolex Series event and I'm team, I'm playing the last round and I'm around 25th. I had played decent on a Saturday and if I basically 
finish inside the top 30, I secure my car for the year after. And then I explode mid-flight on the back nine. And I'm walking, I think the 15th fairway with my ex, Caddy Brian. And I almost have tears coming down my face because I can feel this thing is slipping away from me. I, I don't hit the shots that I want to, nothing's going my way. And I can really see uh, my, my, my season uh, flying off in front of me. And, uh, and I don't know, you know, what happened in France that, you know, the, probably the month and month and a half prior to that, I, I, it was the only thing I was thinking of was keeping my card. And, and I got to France and I didn't think about keeping my card once, you know, playing as trying to keep your card that week, which, and I don't know what happened. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's still to this day, to me, it's a, it's a bit of a mystery, but at the same time, I'm very grateful I, yeah. I was able to, to shift that, that, that mindset from where it was to, to that week in France. Yeah. So we're nearly 16 minutes in, and we haven't mentioned the the Ryder Cup at, at Medina. But yeah. tell me, tell me about how. I mean, obviously, people will always remember 2012. But is it? Do you, do you enjoy the fact that you'll always be remembered for that performance? Of course, I do. Because I mean, we're 10 years later. We still talk about it. Uh, people recognize me for it. People, I'm remembered for that, and. And I'm kind of flattered that I, the people rem- remember where they were when, wherever my first round, wherever I was playing my first round, or whatever it was Sunday when you know when we ended up winning. Uh, um, you know, it's a little bit like people remember where they were when when the when the <laughs> when 9/11 happened. <laughs> it's not the same memory, but I, I I'd rather be uh, remembered for uh, for the miracle of Madonna, of course. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm extremely flattered that I've I've been able to contribute to uh, to uh, to people's remembering of, of of the game. I think it's uh, yeah, I'm extremely proud of that. No, I think it's it's yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I, I know it's sort of as you were as you were um, sort of describing it there. I actually, it, it took me back immediately to to where I was, and I actually messaged my friend who I watched that round with. Um, this morning I was like hey bro you know I'm actually interviewing him today which is yeah, cool. which is crazy but yeah. yo I think I think that's the that's the special thing is like you you know obviously obviously you guys want to do well and stuff but the the sort of knock-on effect that your results have to to towards like the fans and stuff is is, is really incredible what you do you I mean in my case I I was practicing in the south of Spain the week before the Ryder Cup I was in Valderrama and I remember you know, seeing people at Valderrama, wherever they were, from Scandinavia or Spain or Germans, and they were all like, oh yeah, good luck next week, and we, we support you, and you realize, like, you actually play for much, much more than I ever thought of. You know, you're representing the whole of Europe, uh, and sometimes further away, wherever it's Australia or you guys. Um, uh, but, but yeah, it's uh, it doesn't really strike you uh, at first, but when you realize how much you play for and what you represent, it it, it, it takes the the overall journey to another dimension, and it's a and it's a it's a pretty cool thing to represent. Uh, and it, I, I mean, it's still to this day probably the the best golfing experience of my life yeah. by far. It's um, yeah, I mean, I I saw on your on your Instagram bio that that you had. Um, 
European Ryder Cup player 147. Yeah. And I think that's quite interesting because people don't, you, ju- you don't generally see people allude to the number that they, that they are. But, um, you know, in, in team sports like football or rugby, whatever the case may be, you have like a capping ceremony and whatever for mm. the, uh, you know, when you make your debut and it's like a whole big thing. Take me to, to how that works in the Ryder Cup. Do you guys have something similar and, and what form does that take? Well, they never did until a couple of years ago, actually, where they they compared how many uh, Ryder Cup players represented Europe to the number of people that have been on top of Everest, for example, or people that have walked on the moon and, and everything. And you realize that you're actually part of a very small club. Um, yeah, when you think now, you know, we're maybe up to one, 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 160, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I mean... I'm, 147 is a pretty cool number. My dad is born in 1947, and the maximum break you can do at snooker is 147. So I, I that's I'll, weird. Yeah, yeah, that's I, crazy. I, I think it's pretty cool. I always had these funny numbers following me as well. I mean, my my player number at the European Tour is 3456. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I I don't necessarily believe in this, but uh, but I have this thing with numbers that keep following me. But then I have to ask: Do you believe in sort of divine intervention? Like, everyone talks about Sevi and whatever and the Ryder Cup in 2012. Do you believe that there may have been something at play there? I, I mean, I don't believe in, in, in you know, the divine influence, influence as such. But, but when I went to say hello to the boys at the Ryder Cup in 2014 in Glen Eagles, uh, Paul McGinley, the captain, had installed a, a picture, a black and white picture of Sevi when he was about... 17 or 18 and it was a like a pretty big picture probably like two meter high one meter wide portrait of his and it was the and it was just in front of the stairs to go out of the locker room before you go out and play and i can assure you that as any european radica player when you if you'd look in that picture you understand that uh you you follow in the footsteps of probably the biggest warrior that has ever represented Europe. Uh, so that has a little bit of effect still. And was there any kind of talk when you guys were with ten six down going into the Sunday? Was there any talk like, you know, let's do it for for um, Jose Maria, who obviously was still sort of mourning Sevi's loss and stuff? I mean, was there any talk about that, or was it just business as usual, get on with it? Listen, all of us knew their relationship. Um, we all watched them play in the Ryder Cup because we were part of that generation after and we understood clearly what what the Ryder Cup represented for Olasabo and um, and I think we all gave our heart up because we 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 knew it would have been extremely tough for him to handle in in case we had lost and I think uh, you know the, the way that Poulter finished his game on the Saturday night made a big difference as well. Like we were, you know, hopping and skipping into the locker room in, instead of, you know, uh, looking at the ground like we maybe did on the first day. And, and all of that together, you know, gave us hope and 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 uh, made us believe that you know it, it could be achievable. It was going to be tough, but you know the U.S. had done it before in Brookline in '99, so there was no reason that we couldn't do it either. So we, whatever it is, like 20 minutes in, and it's 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 clear you quite, you quite enjoy enjoy uh, talking and, and giving giving good answers and stuff. But tell me about how you got into commentary, and, and was that something you always kind of had an interest in? 
Um, it, it started out uh, a little bit by coincidence, you know, they, you know, these players, um, uh, relation managers that we have out here on tour, usually, you know, TV has to have a few boys in the box and, and I probably did it the first time about, I'd say maybe, you know, four, five, six years ago. And uh, and I always had an interest because I've always watched a lot of a lot of golf and a lot of sports on TV, and and I find it quite interesting to hear, you know, the insights of somebody that has done it that nobody's talking about, uh, and and can basically give something or tell something the viewer doesn't know. Uh, and um, everything that I've done so far has been the feedback's been pretty good. Wherever it was, the Ryder Cup in Whistling Straits, or I've done two Open Championships now with with the, the South African legend that is Dale Hayes um, that I enjoy seeing every once in a while. Um, uh, Tony Johnston is one of them as well. And I, and I, you know, I've always loved to talk golf and exchange golf with with people that have done it. And I've always respected my elders and I always had respect for the older generations because, you know, these are the ones that paved the way for you. And, and I enjoyed every single time I've been in there. Um, and, uh, and I hope the feedback is, is it's going to keep on on being positive whenever I, you know, get the chance to do it again. And do you find you kind of look at the at the course through a different lens as a, you know, when you when you commentating in a, in a particular week as opposed to playing? Um, do you do you think about the course differently, or do you notice things on TV that you maybe wouldn't otherwise notice? You know what is really funny is that when I um, when I comment on somebody on a golf course and I look at the shots they play, I'm I'm actually a lot easier on them than I am on myself if I was playing. That's really interesting. So here's a lesson for you. Like, don't be hard on yourself because it's not really helping. If I see somebody hitting a seven iron to about 20 feet, I'll be like, oh, that's a good shot. <laughs> Where if I feel like I, I would have felt like I leaked it right you know, yeah. to 20 feet and I'd be you know, a little bit angry at myself for not doing exactly what I wanted. So, uh, but I think you know the, the good thing that the plays in my favor is that I, you know, I've been on tour the last 20 years and I've, I've, I've been competitive with the equipment that we use now and, um, you know, I'm not amazed if somebody hits a three with 300 yards, you know, that's what, you know, modern players do and, uh, and uh, I can see the golf courses maybe in a bit more aggressive and, and modern way than some of the older guys that do commentary, but, um, uh, you know, who knows when I'm going to, when I'm going to change job and, and, and do that in the future but uh, um, I also look a little bit forward to it We've been very very generous with your time, just one final question, where to for you from here in terms of your career what are you what are you still hoping to achieve? I have no idea um, I have no idea how long I have left uh, you know like I said I, I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling at the moment to get mentally sharp uh, or mentally sharp enough to compete out of here because the level is getting better and better every year. You know, you've got and now I'm competing against kids that are 25. That used to be me 15 years ago. Uh, but um, if at my age you don't have all your all your box all your box ticked, you know, it's it, it's kind of difficult. Uh, you can't just play on experience and 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 uh, you can't take things for granted. You you still have to you know work and and uh, and um, and uh, and push forward. Uh, I I don't know what the future has in store for me but uh, it would always be golf related anyway and it's it's amazing how sort of cutthroat it is I mean you have someone like Marcel Seam who obviously struggled for a bit and now has made his way back onto tour but at, at the same time someone like Alvaro Kiros at the moment is, is now on the challenge tour and I mean he, he won seven times in the main tour it must be I mean the ups and downs of professional golf must be quite a 
quite something to to go through and you've got to be very very strong mentally to get through it yeah listen i mean uh, people ask me if i want my kids to play golf for a living i'm actually not so sure i mean it's an amazing life but but it's it's a life of uh, sacrifices especially when you get to my age now you know being 40 i don't really see the kids as often as i want to uh, um but um but yeah it's 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 hard because you know it's a sport as we all know where you don't win very often uh, not as much as you know tennis or football for example or but um but yeah it's um you know when when you're good enough to do this competitively out here it's it's a you know, I've, I've been extremely lucky to have traveled the world and meet incredible people, sportsmen or or, or big business people. And uh, I know if it, if it was to do it all over again, I would do exactly the same thing um, in the big lines. Um, but do I want this for my kids? Only if they're extremely talented and I'm sure they're gonna make it through. <laughs> and final, final question, I promise. Um, what advice would you give to the to the rookies on the on the European uh, Ryder Cup side for for Rome this year? Well, my first advice would be to go watch the tee shots on Friday morning and realize that even the guys that have played in three, four, five, six Ryder Cups hit very funny ones off the first because of the nerves. It helped me tremendously in Medina to see um, you know Tiger, Furyk, uh, Graham McDowell or Sergio hit tee shots on the first that weren't their best ones and it put me at ease a lot more than if I didn't see him hitting very average shots. Um, just um, lay on your partner, walk close, represent what you understand what you what you play for, who you represent, and just uh, just embrace getting taken by by this whole thing because it it is big. There's a lot of pressure. But it's extremely exciting at the same time to be there on the on an incredible stage and showcase um, your skills and and, uh, and if it turns out great, it's it's something that will live with you. It would live with you forever. Thank you so much for the chat. Yeah, no problem at all.